Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Yeah, the Ric Flair documentary was fire. It's Wes. This came out. It's on Peacock. It's called Woo. Yeah, <laughs> I heard it was. That was good. Yeah, this man said real quick. And Walker. It is called Woo. It's not the most glowing review of the title. <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. And like, I thought there were to be like a lot of emphasis on the Oh. Woo! And he was just like, it's called Woo. Clock on a Thursday, Wesson Walker, one more hour to go. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We asked you what restaurant, maybe fast food, you've never tried, that people would be surprised to hear that you've never tried, and ask you to text those answers on the text line, 704-570-9610. We have Qdoba, Church's Chicken, and the most surprising one here in Charlotte, Wes. John Warren told us that he still hasn't tried Bojangles. That is one that is a jaw dropper, right? Go okay. scratch yourself. I can understand churches. I can even understand Chipotle. There are a lot of Tex-Mex options. People yeah. have their preferences. But yeah, man, Bojangles living if, in the Carolinas. Yeah, that that's wild. Somebody get this man a supreme combo, please. Somebody do that for <laughs> my man, John Warren. Somebody allow him to drink some sweet tea from Bojangles. Get a Bowberry biscuit, something. Somebody help out John. All right. We're asking Dan to help us out here as Charlotte Hornets fans in the Queen City. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. You can also listen to him on the Hardwood Knox podcast. Great title for a podcast. Talking about basketball, by the way. Dan, we appreciate the time, man. How are you? I am doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing well, man. Dan joining us via the Body Works Plus guest hotline. So I don't know if you have the answer, and nobody has really, but we're going to try it out. We're trying to figure out how to fix the Charlotte Hornets. We at least have new ownership Michael Jordan selling majority stake this past offseason right before we get to the start of the new year. And so with new ownership, you've had some injuries that have been really bad the last couple of years. The luck has not been on our side. But Dan, what's the next step new ownership needs to take in order for Charlotte to climb the standings in future seasons? I think, and this is it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but they need to change sort of just the organizational culture and perception at this point. And there's just been so much extracurricular stuff with them when you're talking about the Miles Bridges domestic violence incident and how that sort of cast a pal over not just the team, but what is his future now going to be given how his, you know, him signing a stock qualifying offer. But even things like, okay, the PJ Washington contract negotiation was super weird and seeing that from the outside looking in, perspective. Some of the comments that Mick Kupchak specifically has made over the past six months or so. Some of the stuff you hear behind the scenes, both public and not public, about LaMelo Ball. There just needs to be a better perception about the Hornets. There needs to be, it feels like, more top-down organizational alignment. Is Steve Clifford the coach that new ownership wants? Is this the coach they want to move forward with? You do have some nice young pieces here. You mentioned that they have really, you know, they've gotten the raw into the stick when it comes injuries but when you kind of look at the way they play and yes some of it's personnel based um but it's just awkward it's incoherent at times especially you know when you're looking at the offensive end the personnel they're missing i get it um you tried you know before brandon miller got injured they're trying him more on ball i get it but just this did not look like a steve clifford typical 
coached defensive team. And so I think it really needs to start there. You have identified who your two most important players are in the Mellow and Brandon Miller. If you need to strip it down, strip it down. But I think it's more about just changing that organizational culture kind of off the court. And then I think that starts probably with the front office now that you've already switched ownership. Well, and, and just, you know, not to push it too much further here, Dan, I know you're talking about just changing the culture, but how far do they need to go? Right. Like you mentioned LaMelo, they invested $200 million in him. Clearly it looked like he was taking a step forward once he did get past the first injury and then suffered the next one. But we've kind of, I think abided by Mark Williams, LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller, everybody else is somebody that you could see out of this organization. Is that what you feel looking at this roster, or do you think, hey, nothing is out of the question when you're trying to build a new culture here? I mean, certainly I don't think Mark Williams should be off the table. I know he's dealt with back stuff, but it's not necessarily been an imp- – it wasn't an impressive sophomore campaign for him to, to yeah. this point. Um, if it was me, I probably wouldn't have anything off the table. I might even identify Brandon Miller just as someone who's on your rookie contract as your most important untouchable player. But I think what almost benefits the Hornets is, you know, you talk about tanking or stripping it down, and, like, they're bad without doing any of that. And so you're going to get another high draft pick. And so I think it really just starts with, I would view it as you have Lamelo, you have Brandon Miller. I do think Lamelo is good enough to be, you know, a top 20, top 25 player in the NBA on a consistent basis if he stays healthy. The ankle stuff is troubling, but, you know, not to use the Steph Curry comp, but he dealt with a lot of ankle stuff early in his career, and he turned out, just fine and so i would just move forward with those two players and try to optimize the team around them and a lot of that's going to be figuring out okay well can brandon miller be the guy that helps you in the half court create alongside Lamelo, where that's not necessarily his strength in the slow down process and if it's not then you need to flesh out your roster from there and i think that's probably been their biggest flaw they kind of they don't necessarily have enough information on what the best team around Lamelo should look like but i do think you sort of have a large enough sample size to where you could have tried to build back your roster from there and they've never really done that i feel like dan for valley joins us on the body works plus guest hotline and dan i caught when you said some of the things you hear about Lamelo on and off the court what are some of the things off the court that you hear around nba circles i mean i think the big one and like and i don't want to get into stuff that i just really don't think is super public knowledge i'm not trying to get aggregated here but just the the level of I don't know, agency or control or influence he has over the organization where you have just heard certain things where they've probably catered him too much or catered to this idea that um, if he doesn't necessarily like a player, if you're worried about how he might fit alongside a player, even if you believe they're the best player available in free agency or the draft, is a great player. But when you're this bad, you don't have to worry about fit or what your best player necessarily wants. You need to worry about putting the best team on the floor possible, getting the best talent possible, and I do think that they've kind of they've, they've put him up on this pedestal and probably let him get away with certain things I don't think he would have gotten away with with other organizations. Nothing too sinister, to be clear. But if this was a different market, um, I do think it would probably just be a bigger story. And so if the Hornets are to make some of those deals, because we talk about all the time, you know, that they should get rid of a lot of this roster to try to change the culture like we've been talking about on this interview with you. What type of players should they target or should it just be a youth movement getting draft picks and trying to continue to just find that that other superstar to go with LaMelo and Brandon Miller and those guys? I think if I'm them, I'm not necessarily targeting a specific player just because you're not at a point in your competitive timeline where I think you identify, okay, X star. And if that star becomes available, they're likely too old to necessarily fit a realistic timeline for you. It'd be good to see them accumulate just some extra first-round picks to take flyers. Or if you're going to look at tangible players, can you look at some of these second-draft guys? Can you be the team that, you know, and one of the weirdest things was them letting Dennis Smith Jr. leave. 
this past offseason. And now you have someone like Killian Hayes kind of floating around in the ether in, in Detroit. Like, can you take a flyer on someone like that where it looks like maybe they've fallen out of favor with their team, don't have a future with their current team, but they're still young. They either play hard on defense or they give you a little bit extra creation in the half court. Um, nothing really should be off the table, but I think the big thing for them is asset accumulation in the form of draft picks. And they, you know, when you look at their first round pick bank specifically, like they technically owe a pick. They're not going to be like super net positive in pick. That pick will probably never convey. Um, but you want to be net positive in the first round pick department as you move forward. I think Dan Favalli joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Sports Radio ninety two seven WFNZ. You're listening to Wes and Walker. Dan, how special do you think Brandon Miller can be based off what you've seen so far? I am so much higher on Brandon Miller now than I was when he was coming out of the draft. Um, I was really impressed, especially early on this season, what he has done defensively. And you look at, yeah, sure, the scope of assignments are tough, but when you look at his ball denial or forcing the ball out of opponents' hands um, or even just some of the stuff he's been able to do away from the ball, I think we saw that pull back as his offensive usage kind of came up after the Lamelo injury, but that's almost to be expected. I do think there's still some concerns about can he create – enough separation to be a self-starting scorer or to be a facilitator for others. Um, that's a question you're going to have about a lot of other players. And given how plug-and-play he has been, by and large, on the offensive end, when you look at his spot-up three-point percentage, when you look at the way he's able to move off the ball, this very much feels like someone, even if you don't view him as that 1A or, or 1B type guy, it does feel like his trajectory could be that of the second or third best player on what's a contending team. And that's a really, really, really big deal. Dan, let's spread it out to the uh, overview of the NBA season as a whole. Uh, what's the biggest surprise you've seen so far based on your preseason expectations to what's happened a little over 30 games in? I think the biggest one is has to be the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I know that they showed some flickers last year, but to be the team that's contending for you know the best record in not just the West, but the NBA at large, and you do have some of your offensive warts, but you've just been – by far and away, this defensive juggernaut. Rudy Gobert is probably the runaway favorite for defensive player of the year. Uh, people say he's moving better than he was last year. I don't know that I ever saw him move this well in Utah. And that just might be a product of, oh, he actually has some perimeter athleticism in front of him. And you look at um, some of the jumps you've gotten, again, from Nas Reed on both ends of the floor. Carl Anthony Towns has actually been pretty good defensively for a lot of this season. Uh, you're deeper coming off the bench than you would expect. And there are questions specifically about their offense, as I mentioned. And when you get into the playoffs and their dual big matchups, but this is not a team. I was pretty high on them coming into last season and they let me down. And so I'd kind of written them off heading into this year. And then they just come out. And I think it's reasonable to say, like, if you had to rank the top five or six contenders, like they are probably going to make that list in some form. And then, yeah, going on with that conversation in Minnesota, the way that they've been playing, and there are some teams that are amidst some youth movements that are getting the job done, like the Oklahoma City Thunder are second in the Western Conference, Orlando sixth in the East. Which of these young teams do you think is for real, and just how far away uh, could the Hornets be from maybe building something like what we've seen from some of these other younger teams in the NBA? Uh, I'll answer the last part of your question first. I do think the Hornets are probably like – galaxies behind a team like the Thunder specifically when you look at their asset chest and then just the accumulation of playable talent that they have not just acquired but like they've groomed and developed and like the Hornets just don't have that stash when you date back to yeah you know P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges are guys who've been on the roster for a while um, but it either feels like we know what P.J. Washington is or we know that Miles Bridges is eventually going to leave anyway and so they just need to accumulate more talent and assets to even reach the point of 
the Orlando Magic. And then you need to be patient and see it through because we did see the Hornets kind of short circuit um, just their trajectory or read too much into you know mild success that they might have had in the postseason or almost making the postseason. And in terms of the young team that I think is just built to do some real damage now, uh, it has to be the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, they have a case as one of the you know the second best team in the league. They've just beaten the Timberwolves and and the Celtics. They have the best half court offense in the NBA. They have a top five defense to go along with it. They're deep. They're the best three point shooting team in the NBA. I am a little skeptical about how their offense will hold up in the playoffs. I don't think they take enough threes. Defenses do not care what Josh Giddy is going to do to you, even though he's playing a little bit better. But if they can even acquire someone, everyone wants them to get a star. But if it's someone who maybe cracks the top seven of their rotation, improves their rebounding, or improves their three-point volume, like this is a team that could come out of the Western Conference right now, which is a pretty wild thing to say, given the average age of the players on their roster. Dan Favalli joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm looking a little bit here at the Western Conference play-in area, and I'm surprised to see Phoenix 9, Lakers 10, Golden State 11. Like, that's a lot of star-laden franchises, and certainly it's so early into the year now. But which one of those teams are you most worried about when you look at those three? Uh, I think I'm probably least worried about the Suns just because when all their stars are, have been on the floor, which has not been much, they have annihilated opponents. I think I'm probably most worried about the Lakers just because there's weird stuff going on with Darvin Ham there. He kind of threw his players under the bus the other night, which is just bad form to do as a second-year head coach. And the other thing with them, unlike the Warriors, is that they don't necessarily have different trade cards or levers the poll like the Warriors can still catch in some younger players some first round picks and if they want to make that consolidation trade if they wanted to get involved in a Pascal Siakam sweepstakes or if Mikhail Bridges becomes available they have the assets to do that the Lakers basically have to hope that no one Zach Levine and so they won on that level and they've also just skirted on adding enough shooting around Anthony Davis and LeBron James ever since they won a title by having enough shooting around Anthony Davis and LeBron James and so that has just never made a ton of sense to me and so I think when you look at how limited their asset um, well is and just you know they've shown they did turn things around last year but they've just shown a lot of signs of being mediocre they were lionized for almost winning one game against the Nuggets last year like in the postseason that is that is so bizarre to me and so I think they have to be the team you're most worried about especially because look LeBron and AD have been available they're banged up but they're playing a lot this year and so if one of them misses extended time you're going to be in, in an even deeper pit Dan, we saw the OG and Anobi trade go down with the Knicks, but the trade deadline is a little bit of a ways away, but what big names can you expect will be the head of those talks when trade time comes around? I do think Zach Levine and Pascal Siakam will dominate the headlines as we get there, and I would expect at least one of them um, to get moved, to not sort of recycle the same names. The two players that I have an eye on, that one of them, Larry Marketing, is starting to generate some buzz around the league. Um, I think if the Jazz get a godfather offer, they'll think about moving him. And I think he's good enough, or at least a finishing piece type of player, where if you're a team like Miami, if you're a team even like OKC, and you have the ability to really push in, maybe even Memphis just wanting to improve their front line, I could see a team giving up a lot for him. And the name that I'm just watching, because they've telegraphed that they won't move him, but they've been pretty bad lately. They're kind of stuck in the middle. I know they don't own their first-round pick this year, so they shouldn't be tanking. But I would just keep an eye on Mikael Bridges in Brooklyn. There's no sign that he's necessarily unhappy, but if, if there are going to be teams out there that will offer probably like three 
the equivalent of a three to four, maybe even five first round picks mm. for him. And if you're the Nets, I think at this point, five games under 500, still in the play in territory, but not built to do any damage. Yeah, a lot of people expect you to move Dorian Finney-Smith or Royce O'Neal, but Mikael Bridges is someone that I'm just watching. All right, great stuff, as always, from Dan Favalli, joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Go check out his work on Bleacher Report. Also, listen to his podcast. Subscribe as well. Hardwood Knox. Get it anywhere you get your podcast. Dan, we appreciate so much uh, so much of your time here on Weston Walker. We'll talk to you down the road. Most definitely. Thanks for having Thanks, me, guys. Take care. Good stuff there. Not great stuff on the Charlotte Hornets, as you know. He says they're galaxies away. I guess that's yeah. a term of measurement now we have to use in comparison to other teams. Galaxies. <laughs> they Quasar. are. They are Milky Ways away <laughs> from comparing to any other NBA team, even some of these younger squads that are at the top of the standings. Maybe we break a little bit down what he had to say on the other side of the break, and also get back into the Carolina Panthers discussion. Live wire, sound bites still to go. Lots to get to, even if there's just a couple more segments to go sports radio 92.7 wfnz you're listening to wesson walker whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Papa Big Show. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Yeah, we're rhyming here on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. <laughs> Tom Pelissero had a tweet, NFL Network journalist, and it's pretty interesting with a coordinator survey taken by the NFLPA, Wes. And so here's Pelissero's tweet. As the hiring cycle approaches... The NFL Players Association asked over 1,700 players to rate the coordinators they play for on a scale of 1 to 10. There are the top five coordinators on the offensive side, defensive side, even special teams-wise. You know who the number one offensive coordinator vote-getter was? Ben Johnson? No, not in the top five. Frank Smith is, offensive coordinator for Miami. You know who number two was, if you want to continue to play this game? Thomas Brown. Wow. Frank Smith, number one. Mm. Thomas Brown got the second most amount of votes. If you want to just complete the top five, Fitty's boy, Brian Schottenheimer, down in Dallas, Brian Callahan, and Kellen Moore. They finish out the top five. Defensive coordinators, they did for them too. Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, actually the overall vote getter if you just lump all the coordinators together, but Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator for Detroit, was the overall vote getter, leads the DCs. Second on that list, you want to take a guess here? Ejero Evero. Steve Wilkes. Ah, okay. A little bit of a tie. Steve Wilkes is second. Where's Ejero? Not on the list. Uh, Not on the top five. Okay. Dan Quinn is third. Brian Flores is fourth. Raheem Morris is fifth. 
any takeaways with a few names to choose from, to be honest. Okay. If we're going to be looking for young OCs or just OCs, period, you have Frank Smith, number one, Thomas Brown, number two, Schottenheimer, Callahan, Kellen Moore. They finish out the top five. And then as you go to the defensive side, Steve Wilkes is certainly interesting. What sticks out most to you? All right. So definitely what sticks out is uh, Steve Wilkes, first and foremost, because I think that this is a guy that a lot of people talked about on the text line that galvanizes troops, a leader of men, the often used term with a lot of coaches. And I think that that's translated over to San Francisco. And I think now in retrospect, when you look back at a guy that would have been a great candidate, I'm not saying 100% he should have been hired, but when you look back at this guy as a candidate, you see now that his leadership and the joy of guys playing for him has translated over to a successful organization. And I think that's one thing that people um, – kind of look over sometimes with coaches is how much players love coming to play for them. And everybody likes a good work environment. And when you have a coach that you enjoy playing for, it makes work that much easier, makes you want to play that much harder for him. And so that sticks out to me. The fact that Ben Johnson wasn't in the top five uh, certainly sticks out to me as well. And that Thomas Brown is number two, because I think that especially if you go out and you do hire a Ben Johnson, which was, I won't take them all, but I'll say that Thomas Brown coming in, I don't think that he's going to be a guy that's going to be retained by the new yeah. head coach. So that's an interesting part as well. Yeah, uh, Tom Pelissero continues to write, NFLPA president J.C. Treader told Pelissero, the hope is anonymous feedback will give teams more information as they look to hire not just great football minds, but great leaders and people, adding, quote, guys in the top five list pretty clearly appeal to almost everybody in their locker room. Treader also said the ratings were qualitative and all-encompassing in terms of criteria. It was conducted during team visits in conjunction with the NFLPA's second annual team report and their card survey, the results of which are expected to be released in the months ahead. So, yeah, some interesting stuff there. No Ben Johnson in the top five. Thomas Brown ranked number two. Frank Smith, a name that we've certainly thrown around quite a bit, is ranked number one on this list. And then defensively, Steve Wilkes is there. Special teams-wise, Chris Tabor was number two. So there's another interesting one. John Fossil, number one. Chris Tabor, number two. And a couple Panthers making the list, whether you're with a different team or whether you're still on the coaching staff as it stands right now. We'll see if some of those guys are retained. Or one yeah, of them I is think Tabor stands a great chance to be retained by the next coach. It feels like if he kind of wants to be, I guess if the next head coach wants to go in a different direction, that's that he could. could happen. I just but think he has the best chance. Yeah, no, I'm with you. No, it would it would make a lot of sense. Um, we'll see what cra- uh, happens with Chris Tabor. All right, you ready to go, Fiddy? You have your live wire ready. Real quickly, let's do a check in on your voice because we're Thursday now. It's been a long recovery time after you got a little rowdy for New Year's Eve at your uncle's wedding. Where are you? Are you 90% back? Are you 80% back? What's the, are, are you doubtful on, on the injury report? Tell us where you are. Man, I'm day to day. What percentage are you back? I don't know. I'd say like mm. 65%. Okay. Based off that voice and what I heard during the break, I don't know. Well, 65 might be. Might be. All right. Well, here is a 65% of what a usual live wire is right now with Fiddy. Live wires on the team connect. Get respect for their realness. I know you feel this. The east and the west. Up north to the down south. Live wires connect. All right. Well, as you know, Wednesdays is the days that the quarterback of the Panthers, he meets with the media. 
Got two sound bites I want to play from Bryce Young yesterday. And he was asked if he will address mechanics and his footwork in the upcoming offseason. Well, I haven't gotten to that point. Um, you know, stuff like that comes with, you know, you sit down and you analyze all the film and, um, you know, also seeing what the system is, you know, how things go in the offseason of, you know, it's not just I want to do this. This is what I feel like doing. Um, you know, I I'm, I work with you know, and the same thing here. When I got here, you know, you, you talk with the staff. We we talk with um, you know, I'm talking with my coaches. You know, how do we see this? We're watching film. We're putting that stuff together. Um, so it's you know, it's not just like uh, I feel like I want to do this. I feel like I want to. It's a team effort. It's a collaborative effort. And you know, obviously, again, there are some moving pieces. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with with everything. But um, you know, that's stuff that I'll assess after the season. You know, Walker, whenever the owner is pointing out that your footwork is a problem, this has to be something that will be addressed by himself, new head coach, new offensive coordinator. Is there anything wrong with his mechanics on his throwing motion that needs to be worked on? I know we talked about this when we were up in Boston. That was as football-y a segment as we've done when we really started to dig into the X's and O's, the protection, the footwork of Bryce Young. Wes, I know you saw not necessarily lazy footwork, just getting off of what a normal platform might be for Bryce, and it didn't end up in the best of throws when you saw it maybe in Alabama transitioning to the beginning of the season here in Carolina. I don't know if David Tepper is just hearing this from somebody that he's in contact with, and then he takes that information, walks down to the coach's room and says, hey, guys, I'm being told on the outside his footwork needs fixing. Go ahead and get on that before we get uh, after the bye week, before we get, you know, whatever week it was. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know how much he needs to fix it. So I guess that will be a question for whoever the next head coach is, whoever the next offensive coordinator is. But in reality, we have seen better football from him. Took a nosedive against Jacksonville. Hopefully we can get something better. And if that means good footwork and fixed footwork the next season, then sure, bring it on because he needs to be better. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has some jobs that look out of the ordinary when you watch the footwork. And I guess, you know, the only way you could characterize it is a little bit lazy. I mean, not, you know, you got to be very disciplined as a quarterback all the way around the board. But, yeah, there are going to be some things he's going to need to clean up. Because the thing about that, when you see a player that's as cerebral as Bryce, he knows so much and he's gotten away with some of those things for so long and I don't know how hard the coaches are getting on him about it. I'm sure they're coaching up footwork. We've heard it in the reports, but uh, I think that's going to be something he's really going to have to go to work at this offseason and the next coaching staff. is They're going to need to clean up some of those mechanics and I think he's starting to learn that he can't get away with some of that stuff too. Some of the errant throws and some of the almost interceptions and some of those things come from bad technique as well. He was also asked if he'll be kept in the loop about personnel decisions being made this offseason. You know, Mr. Tepper and, and everyone's coming in and everyone's committed to, to getting, to, you know, to, to making the things better, you know, getting things right. We all have that. You know, I know at the front office, Mr. Tepper and, and everyone up there, they have the, the commitment to, to want to improve. To want to, you know, we, we want to win, um, you know, obviously. Um, you know, we, we, we want to have, have success in the future. Do you? Um, you know, we want, to, we want to win. So I know that they're, they're all hands on deck and, and want to do whatever it takes. So I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of an organization and things like that. Wes, we all know that in today's sports world, the players hold all the power. 
In year two, should Bryce be informed about personnel decisions? No, not at all. He hasn't gained any cachet to be able to do that. He's still a work in progress his damn self, so he can't be coming up in there telling them what they should do, what he thinks, this, that, and the third. He hasn't learned or come close to mastering the NFL game yet, so no, I don't think he should have any say on personnel decisions. Zero, and usually I like asking the star QB or who the franchise yeah. QB might be. Got to be a star first. But Bryce Young shouldn't have any here. What, what has he done to show that? Honestly, look, as much as we defend Bryce Young, as much as we still think he can be a really good quarterback in the NFL, the reality is he hasn't done it enough yet for you to be sure that he can be your franchise quarterback. And unless you're sure that he's your franchise QB, then why would you ask that guy that might not be the starting QB the next two years for a coaching hire, right? right? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. The other thing is, man, we just played a couple sound bites there from Bryce. Does it feel like he's more scared to answer questions now than he was even at the beginning of this season? The same thing, man. Starting to turn into the canned answer, man. Telling us stuff we don't well, know. And it's always been that, but now it, it feels a lot more sped up. It feels a lot more just Mr. Tepper, organizations committed to winning, we're committed to getting better. Next question before I pee my pants. Russell Wilson. Well, no, he's much more cornier, though. Like, Russell Wilson is... is <laughs> That's much, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, like, with, with Bryce Young, it just feels like... I, Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, Bryce Young isn't giving us that. It's just no. very canned answer, as you mentioned, and it seems a lot more scared. Mm-hmm. What else you got for us, Fitty? All right, well, today was coordinator day over at the bank, and Thomas Brown was simply asked... What he thought went wrong this year? Um, I mean, that's a loaded question. Um, maybe a good for a last question. But I, I think as far as just the overall um, consistency, the communication, uh, and us always continuing to find the best way to put our guys in the best spot to be successful. I think anytime you have um, changes, change can obviously be good, but also take some time to adjust and adapt to. But it's just, that's a, a pretty, pretty in-depth combo we can probably have at a different time. Okay. Why do we have press conferences anymore? Why do we ask these people any questions? That's a loaded question. I'm going to give you a 20-second answer of absolutely nothing. Answer the damn question, man. <laughs> I think that they should just have a first-week uh, coaches interview where they just bring them down in a car wash, figure out who's going to be able to give them good sound bites and who won't be, and then after that, for the rest of the season, only talk to those coaches because – you're not going to get anything uh, out of these guys and these players. Most of the time, I say it all the time, just like you. I'm like, why bother? Well, they're not even giving us any detail, but because of that, you know something is going terribly wrong behind the scenes. He certainly is giving you that wink, wink. Man, if I told you all the stories I have, you guys would be shocked. It has that kind of feeling with it. I just hope it all changes to the point where we can actually have good conversations as Thomas Brown is telling you about what's going right. And maybe he'll a little bit more forthcoming about the details as to why things are going right. But when things are going wrong and you don't want to make, I don't, maybe he doesn't even care, but making David Tepper mad, making Scott Fitterer mad. I, what is the, that's the thing that I heard Mac and Bone talking about earlier this week. Like, where the hell is Scott Fitterer in all of this? I, I know we have the conversation pretty frequently about whether he'll come back next year or not. But it's like we don't even ask if Scott Fitter is going to be making the decision on all of this. It's all about David Tepper, Frank Reich. He just is Homer Simpson going back into the bushes, nowhere to be seen. I, it, it's not his fault, necessarily. We just have zero clue who's in charge, and that's a lot of the problem. 
we know it's David Tepper. We just have no clue who are the football people that are in charge and whether they can actually take some back, uh, some of uh, the authority back from David Tepper. Speaking of David Tepper, David Sampson, he joined your favorite show, uh, Walker, the Dan Lebitard show, mm. and said that Tepper's a problem and the NFL should try to find a way to move on from him. David Tepper's a problem. Not a Daniel Snyder type problem, but I would say he that he's helium? a problem because he doesn't like paying anybody anything. There's people in Charlotte who just hate him. Not like the way you guys hated me and Loria. They hate him because he didn't pay his bills like to the subcontractors when they were building the practice facility. He does not fulfill from a business standpoint, forget from a football standpoint where he's been a total failure. So I think what the NFL is waiting for is for Tepper to do something really, really bad where they can get him out. And I think that this is not that, except it's the beginning of that. So I think Roger Goodell's in a position where it's a wait to see, you know, what will he do next and how can we move on? Mm. Do y'all think that Sunday was the beginning of the end of David Tepper's ownership of the Carolina Panthers? What should you go first? You know what, man? I like to get out in the YouTube streets uh, pretty much every day. I like to get out there and watch different content from different content creators. And, uh, you know, checking out some content on there, it's interesting that we hear this soundbite because I did hear the theory brought up was David Tepper lined up. And for those of you that don't know that street vernacular, I'm not a street guy, but that means a setup. And the question has been begged, was this a setup to try and get David Tepper on his way out of owning the Carolina Panthers? So that's just food for you to chew on right there. Yeah, where, where is this coming from? Like, uh, just... pa- I, I, I check out Panthers Uncensored on YouTube, man. And, okay. Uh, the big cat is the guy that does the show, and he's pretty, uh, he's pretty knowledgeable about what he talks about. But uh, he was talking about how, you know, he had a source that, that they were talking about it, and that topic was broached and so it it just kind of i thought about that as soon as he said you know they're waiting for him to do something else but uh i think they could be i think roger goodell can't be happy with what he's seeing from tepper i don't think he wants anybody to get in with their organizations and just run amok do what they want to do um not do things the way that they feel like that a man of the shield should. And I think that this was just because when you break this down, throwing water or throwing a drink on somebody, that's classified as an assault. And so to see an NFL owner to stoop to that level with a fan, I think that they definitely frowned upon that. And I definitely they didn't. I don't think they liked it. And I think Goodell did the most he felt that he could do, I guess you could say. But I think if he has another bad incident or two, man, they may start that process. Yeah, I don't think a drink toss is going to be forcing him out of the NFL because all the other things that are a problem with David Tepper, the Rock Hill thing is a big issue, but we haven't had an organizational-sized scandal. We had that with Dan Snyder. We had that with Robert Sarver. We've had that with Donald Sterling. Right, with Jerry Richardson. You had it with Jerry Richardson, who wasn't even really forced out. He sold the team as soon as that article dropped, and that was it. And so there wasn't even really a forcing out by the other owners. He just decided, look, I'm old. It's about time for me to get on up out of here after this article drops. If there is something like that for David Tepper, then we can have that conversation. The Dan Snyder stuff, Dan Snyder is awful. There might be some resemblance between David Tepper and what Snyder was in Washington. But we're talking about a former U.S. attorney investigating the franchise 
in a report from that U.S. attorney saying that that organization in Washington sustained an allegation from former team marketing employees of sexual harassment, a culture of sexual harassment, and that the team deliberately underreported its shareable NFL revenues in violation of NFL policies. We're talking about actual crimes here within that franchise. That's not happening in Carolina that we know of, for sure, with any franchise, but nothing like that has been dropped. So anything short of that to me, that's where I don't love the comparison to Dan Snyder because there's some truly awful stuff in the drink toss. It's embarrassing. It's hell, as we've talked about all week long, but it's not Dan Snyder level. And I don't think it's at the level to the point where he's going to be forced out of the NFL like some of the other owners who had legit culture, longstanding scandals happen within those franchises. I don't think he's going to be forced out. Got anything else for us, Fitty? I've got one more piece of sound I want to play for you. Joe Ovius, he joined the Kyle Bailey show earlier in the week to talk about, is there a way to fix the bowl games, uh, the, the bowl game issues in college football? The games don't matter. They've not mattered since the BCS was introduced. So you know what I want out of my bowl games? I want more mascots that I can eat. They also Seriously, <laughs> like the cheese it the cheese it mascot. I know they made a big hmm. deal about how I'm not edible. You should be. You know what the real thing is? What this is the conversation nobody wants to have. If you really want to fix the bowl system, there is a solution. But nobody actually wants to do the solution because then it creates another argument. You pay the players. You want these guys to be in the bowl games because they're so important to you? Make it a part of a contract. You need to also rework not the bowls, but the actual calendar around college football. It's like a Tarantino movie, man. Like okay, I got I got I got John Travolta like with a briefcase, and then now he's talking to a guy who's alive, but he was like dead two scenes ago. Like that's that is the college bowl calendar, man, or the college football calendar. What's the season in? Wes, do you have any ideas of how to make these bowl games rele- relevant and meaningful again? Yeah, like I said, they need to open a transfer portal once all bowl games are completed. That will go a long way in fixing it. And for two, like I said, I think it should be in that scholarship that if you are going to sign up to play for the season, you need to play all games. And that's just how I think it should be. And I'm not old school in a ton of different ways, but certainly, man, I don't care what people try to say. And they always try to tread lightly and be like, oh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm – not against the players sitting out for their futures and all that. Nah, man, you sign up to play. You need to play all the games, plain and simple. That's how I feel about it, and I don't, I don't think that will ever change with me. Yeah, I, the only problem is you take away decision making, just free will decision making from the players. And I'm not with that. I mean, if you if you're just straight up saying, nope, this isn't a decision you get to make. So now you have to abide by rules that maybe other people don't in college sports or even just as college students. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. I don't want somebody to have a decision taken away from them where they could set out if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then you have it signed to the point where if you come to this school, then you have that power taken away from you. Like at the end of the day, I think these students decide what is best for them and mm-hmm. being an individual. And so I, I don't like taking away a free will decision away from them just because we don't like it. Well, that's what I'm saying. But you make the free will decision to play the season. If you don't want to play the season, if you don't want to play all the games, then, like I said, go to L.A. Fitness and work out for a year. Play or, simple. or just go to a different school that might not have that rule. No, I think it should be across the board. I yeah. think it should be – I don't think How it's going to happen. Yeah, like, I don't think it's going to happen, yeah. but – uh, but I think the number one thing you could do is just make sure the portal is 
not opening up until bowl games are completed. All right, that'll do it for the live wire with 65% Josh Fitty Marlowe. We'll move on with the walk-off right here on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He's given us a couple of great dances today. Yes, man. He has definitely been back there jamming. I mean, getting really into it. It's been pretty funny. I wish you would have done that during the intro for Paul White earlier on. That would have been great. Speaking of that, Bagel Guy wrote in and said, Walker, you should have wore your B costume when Paul White was in studio. <laughs> it's not anything that I planned for. I guess I didn't expect that to ha- that to happen. To be fair, also, like I don't, I don't know if I would have done it. It would have been funny. Maybe I regret it a little bit. I could have worn my B costume today. I don't even know how much that would have thrown the interview off. Because we want it to be about Paul, not me. So, I don't know if I should have done it, but it would have been another fun angle to attack. I mean, yeah, it would have just added a whole nother layer to it. It really would have been funny. How did you enjoy that, Fiddy? Like, I know you're not a wrestling fan. I know, well, sometimes you just even straight up diss wrestling. But the the guests, you got to admit, the guests are a lot of fun when they hop on the show. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, uh, as much as I put into booking him, I was glad that he delivered for you guys. Um, He's a really, really cool dude. You'll love him because they're as honest a guest you're going to get. Like they they answer the questions the way we want our coaches to answer questions. They do. So, I mean, that's what you got to like about him is that they're open. They're honest. They're they're real. Which is good because what they do on Saturdays when they're making all their money is there they go. You know it's coming. So I we've met four wrestlers or talked to four wrestlers in a calendar year's worth of time, which is more than I've ever had before in my entire life. And the fourth one being Bailey, I guess, in Boston when we met her. That's true. And within ten seconds of meeting her, Wes decided to say Walker talks trash about wrestling. I didn't throw either one of you guys under the bus today. Too. That's what be I, proud. That that's why I was going <laughs> to I was leading into that question. How close were you or did you think about throwing either one of us under the bus? Uh, it's really always so fitty. It's always a thought. I know. I was. like to just I like to see you guys under pressure sometimes so I know what I'm dealing with, you know what I'm saying? Especially uh fitty back then. Yeah, you know, well fitty is- he talks the worst. Like your <laughs> yeah. stuff is kind of like genuine thoughts and you say it in a you know, a tone that's not condescending. But Fiddy, you know, he gets on his stuff and he just <laughs> takes this tone about it that's just a bit much. So well, I said, I want to see if you're going to keep the same energy 
<laughs> when we have some of these guys in. With, with Fiddy, it's tone and substance. Yeah. With me, my my biggest debate, I guess, I don't know how much of a debate it is between us anymore. I think we, we kind of, I don't know how much we agree on it. Mm-hmm. But with wrestling not being a sport, I, I can't get behind it being a sport if it's scripted. If we know what's going to happen at the end, if you were to go find the script, that's why I can't get behind it being mm-hmm. a sport. But with it being hard, yeah. Not going to argue that. Yeah. With him telling those types of stories, I I don't even know if when we bring in athleticism, if that's a factor, like sometimes it is because I would consider golf a sport. There's certainly some levels. I don't want to have that radio debate. Yeah. My point being, that's the only thing that we might get into a disagreement on when we talk westling. Fiddy is just out here being I, reckless. Yeah. Talking I mean, should we let the trash. people know he said the figure skating is not a sport and he said that no, with no. proper training. He could do it. <laughs> he did say, That's what he said this morning, folks. He did. No, he did say <laughs> if I really focused on it, yeah. I could be a figure skater. And yeah. I I guess win an Olympic medal in figure that. Figure skating fitty. Where does the confidence go in figure skating fitty? I mean, I'm not going to go to Olympic, you know, Olympic status, but like I figure skated as a kid. Like I was very You didn't good. figure skate. You skated. Yeah, There's you no skated. way you figure skated. Yeah. I cannot believe were, that. Were you there? Did Okay. Tell me any. Figure Are you my daddy? I'm not going to say yes because you want me to, and you're weird, and that would just be falling right into your setup trap. Nope, I'm too smart for that. Now. Okay, no, I but did there's not no way figure, figure skate, skating. but I ice skated well enough to where, like, if I were to commit a month's worth of time, I could go out there and do a routine. Like, I'm very confident in my belief. So you, so, so that means if you can do that, that means that if we took you to an ice skating rink. You could get out there and hold it down. No, the problem, he's hiding behind the fact that he would need a month's worth of time because clearly he knows we are not going to be going out there every day for a month, and that's how he uses this as camouflage. If we went to an ice skating rink right now, I could put on a pair of skates and skate. That's what I want to see. Could you get, uh, this is what I want to know. Could you jump? I'm not asking you to even do a spin. I'm not asking you to do anything (laughs) crazy. Could you jump, get enough air to where I could slide a piece of paper between you and the ice and the skates and actually land without falling. That's what I want to know. Because like today? I don't think, I don't yes yeah, today. Today, today. Cuz if you're good enough to where you feel like with the proper time and training you could be professional level, then that means to me at a minimal level you can get out there and at least do a couple of things to let us know that you have some pretty good chops. Just a skating. foundation. Yeah, foundation. I mean, I don't know, it's been Uh-oh. what 10 to 12 years since I last ice skated. I don't. I think it's more so for riding a bike. I don't think the same thing applies as far as not forgetting how to ice skate. So I mean, I I, I mean maybe it does. jumping I and landing. I that would you know TBD. But you give me a month, month I would I, I would kick its ass. But this is this is my point. It takes so much more than just jumping and landing to be a figure skater. Right. And I think yeah, you, you would gotta fall like, you immediately. Know, skate in rhythm and yeah. Yes, it's, which yeah. I don't know if you even have rhythm to be honest with you. I got more rhythm than you have. I just saw you dance multiple times, and I didn't see one movement on beat. <laughs> That's not what I've been told. I've been told that you you have t- you have looked at my moves and you've used them when you go clubbing. If I use your moves when I go clubbing, then there's no way in hell that anybody's coming up to me and saying, "Hey, nice dance moves." Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. I love them. I genuinely am happy when I see you. Drop it low and then put your hand in the air. <laughs> That's pretty good. But it doesn't mean that I want to copy them and, you know, do that in public. That's not anything I want to do. I'd love you. know I'm always down for social media content. I'd be willing to pay to go to an ice skating rink just to be able to film you 
out there on the ice. Fitty on ice. That's what we could call it. Like, think about how many things you would have to do figure skating. It, it's not just going to skate land or whatever. This yeah. is actually him needing to jump up in the air, maybe even give me a half spin, skate backwards, be able to turn at the right time so you don't run straight into the wall. Can <laughs> <laughs> you do that? Can you do some I, of those tasks? This is what I would love to see happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, skating backwards, I can do that. Okay. Okay, so we might as well just go to the ring. We can do it. You, you, you said you can do that right now. Let's just go ahead and do it. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest question is jumping because, like, it's been 10, 12 years. But it's just a jump. Well, you, I mean, I still haven't done it, like, in, in a while. Like, I, you know, like, I, the skating is the natural part. Either you can skate or you can't. I can skate. Because what type of jump are we talking? Are we talking speed, gain, and then he leaps off the ice, which I know is far as hell as far as trying to get that, oh, we're just saying a simple two-foot jump, or what, what are we talking? I, I, there, there are only two things that happen from him jumping with any kind of air. He either breaks his ankle upon the land, because especially if he's trying to get a lot of air, he jumps off one foot, yeah. he's going to break his ankle immediately, or he's going to fall down. Yeah. Either one of those things are happening, but one of those things are happening. And one of those things are going viral. <laughs> so I'm here for it. Wow. <laughs> Follow Fitty, HTV underscore Josh, to figure out if he actually skates for us. And we'll put that uh, video on social media. Yes. And that thing will go viral. I would absolutely agree with that. Thanks for listening to Weston Walker. Go check us out. All our content on WFNZ.com, maybe a little bit later on. But keep it right here in the meantime. The Kyle Bailey Show alongside Smoke Ludwig coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 FM.